we are jumping in tonight to the book of Hebrews. Anybody excited about Hebrews? I am very excited about Hebrews. I'm very excited about a lot of things, but I'm really excited about studying the book of Hebrews. And so if you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to uh, turn to Hebrews chapter one. We'll read the first few verses. Tonight, we're gonna really set up the major themes and the purpose and kind of just what's going on with the book of Hebrews before we spend a, a good length of time at length, going through this great book of the Bible. So, starting in verse one, this is God's word. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray, church. God, we thank you for your word. We're, th we're so thankful that we're not left groping in the dark trying to figure out who you are, but that God, you have revealed yourself to us and that anytime we want to hear you speak, we can open the scriptures and we can hear what it is that you wanna say to us. God, I am so thankful for this book in particular, God, and I pray uh, tonight that you would help me to teach your truth. You'd help me to teach with clarity. God, you'd give each and every one of us uh, a soft and receptive heart that we might be changed and transformed how you want us to be. And God, may the focus, all of our attention be on Jesus in whose good name we pray. And everybody said, amen. I wanna ask you a question. Have you ever been on a long road trip or have you ever undertaken a, a massive project, something that was gonna take a really long time? I was thinking about this. I was, I was talking to uh, somebody from the church recently where they go on sailboat trips and they will literally sail for thousands and thousands of miles around the world. Or I was thinking about Pastor Travis last week and he went on a backpacking trip, 18 miles hiking back into the woods of Washington. I've tried to not walk 18 miles this whole year and he wanted to do it all in one weekend. Uh, I've talked to other people who've had big, long projects at work. Maybe they've spent a year and a half on one particular project, even have to travel overseas for it. When I think about a, a long project or a long journey, I immediately think of the time four years ago when I moved from Anchorage, Alaska, here to Seattle, Washington, by driving through Canada. My kids at the time, we have three daughter, or four daughters now, we had three at the time. At the time, they were six, five, and one. And I thought to myself, it would be a very bad decision to load all of them into the minivan and spend days driving through uh, the wilderness. There's dangerous animals, there's long stretches of dangerous road, there's Canadians. Like, I just don't want to subject my kids to that. So I put them on a plane and me and my friend got into the van and we loaded up and we, we drove off. I don't know what your experience is, but anytime I've ever been on a really long road trip or, or a long project, something like that, there comes a point where you start to wonder, am I ever going to make it? Are we ever going to get there? Are we going to be able to finish this project that we started? And when you're in those moments, what you need, you need two things. Number one, you need some encouragement. You need a little bit of a pep talk. You can do it. You can go. Come on, stick it through to the end. You're gonna, you're gonna make it. But you know what you need even more than encouragement or you need more than a pep talk? You need a motivation. 
You need a motivation. What's at the end of this project? What's at the end of this road trip? What's at the end of this journey that you've undertaken? Because if you don't have a motivation, pep talk will only get you so far. It'll actually run out eventually. Would you agree? I can say, come on, you can do it. And eventually, if you just don't want to, you're not gonna make it. The Christian life is a little bit like that. The Christian life is a marathon, not a sprint. Amen? Jesus doesn't call us to uh, lay down everything, pick up our, our cross and follow him for a week. No, he calls us to follow him for the rest of our lives. We are gonna follow Jesus until the day that you or I take our last breath or until Christ Jesus returns, whichever one comes first. That's the goal. That's how we know that we're going to make it. And as we face uh, the challenges and the trials of life, especially living life as a Christian, how many know that you can sometimes get tired? You can sometimes get exhausted. The Christian life is fraught with difficulties. And if you don't have some encouragement and if you don't have, more importantly, a motivation, you run the risk of not making it. I would submit to you that perhaps more than any other book in the Bible, the book of Hebrews is a book about motivating us to persevere to the end. The book of Hebrews uh, acknowledges that we are on a marathon of the Christian life and we need, yes, a pep talk, yes, encouragement, but we really need a deeper joy and a deeper motivation. And what's great about the book of Hebrews is this book not only encourages us to persevere, but tells us why. Because at the end, we get to see Jesus face to face and he's gone before us and he's already completed the race. And so we can thank him for that. You know, what's interesting. This sermon series through the book of Hebrews is going to be a little miniature marathon for us. It's a metaphor for the Christian life. We are going to finish, uh, based on my last reading of the calendar, we are going to finish our study of the book of Hebrews in October of 2016. <laughs> That's gonna be a good long time. We'll take a little break here and there, maybe around Christmas, Easter, probably during the summer a little bit for some guest teachers, but we're gonna spend over a year in the book of Hebrews. And in case you think that that's long or impressive, uh, you should know that one of my favorite preachers, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones from the, the UK, he spent uh, 12 years in Romans. So this is just like a 5K. This is like a little warm-up here, right? So we're gonna be unpacking the book of Hebrews for quite a long time. Now, why Hebrews? Let's ask this question. Why Hebrews? The first reason why we as an elder team felt that God wanted us to go through the book of Hebrews is because we value as a church expository preaching. Expository is just a fancy word that means line by line, verse by verse, word by word through the Bible. As a church plant, as a new church replant, we have spent uh, actually a decent amount of time so far this year with our teachings being topical. We've got uh, doctrinal things to talk to you about, foundational values and vision to talk about. So we've done a lot of topical sermons so far this year. And there's, there's nothing wrong with the topical sermon and we'll still do them again occasionally in the future. However, we as an elder team believe that the most valuable thing that we could spend our time on Sundays doing is opening the word of God and looking at what he has to say to us, line by line, word by word, verse by verse. This is important for a couple reasons. First of all, all of scripture is breathed out by God. Do you agree? And it's profitable, it's useful for us. But there's another reason why we value expository preaching and that's because when you go topically, the preacher can kind of decide what he does or doesn't want to talk about and when you go line by line, verse by verse through the Bible, you have to deal with some things that you may not have otherwise chosen to deal with. And let me tell you, over the next year in Hebrews, we are going to deal with some things. 
because there are some controversial passages. There are some difficult passages in the book of Hebrews. Yeah, exactly, right? Tom's excited. We value as a church expository preaching. And so we said, let's go, let's pick a book of the Bible. And we started talking and praying. And the second reason why we're gonna go through Hebrews, admittedly, it's a little bit of a selfish one, but I said, hey guys, Hebrews is like my favorite book in the Bible. It's a personal favorite of mine. If we're gonna spend a year in a book of the Bible and if I'm gonna carry the, the primary preaching responsibility, could we please do a book that I really like? I mean, I love the whole Bible, don't get me wrong, but Hebrews is just a personal favorite of mine. And so I asked and apparently I was convincing and the rest of the elders said, absolutely, let's do it. Not knowing what they'd gotten themselves into. I gave all the really hard passages to Pastor Shane. He'll be doing those, it'll be great. The third reason why we said we wanna do the book of Hebrews is that it is a timely book. Even though this letter was written almost 2,000 years ago, it is very relevant, very timely for us as a church. That's because we're a new church replant and, and we need to have a long-term vision. We need to be encouraged to persevere. The book of Hebrews talks about this long-term vision and encouragement to persevere. Another thing about the letter to the Hebrews is that it was written during a time and to a people who were experiencing opposition. They were, they were experiencing cultural persecution, excuse me, an op opposition because of their commitment to Jesus. How many of you know that we are experiencing in the United States of America a new season of opposition to the gospel? We have enjoyed in the USA for several hundred years a form of cultural Christianity in which if you said you were a Christian, you believe the teachings of the Bible, that was generally viewed as a good thing. What has happened in the last few years, even the last decade or so, is what uh, Pastor Tim Keller calls the death of the mushy middle that the lines are being drawn more clearly and people are saying, yes, I understand what the Bible says. Yes, I understand what Jesus taught. Yes, I understand what Jesus demands of me and I'm in. And there are others who say, yes, I understand what the Bible says. I understand what Jesus taught and what he demands and I disagree and I won't have anything to do with it. And so as a church, we're certainly not looking for a fight and we're definitely not interested in playing the martyr card. Do you hear me on that? However, we are going to experience persecution as followers of Jesus, opposition, and so the book of Hebrews is very helpful for us because it calls us to endure and how to endure in a godly and a Christ-like manner. It's also timely for us because we just finished a sermon series on prayer and we believe that God wants us to be a praying church. And there is a lot of language in the book of Hebrews about drawing near to God, about persisting in prayer, about not uh, standing far away, but coming close to God through prayer. And so it's uh, another reinforcement for us as a church of what we want to do and what we want to be as a church. I'll share this with you. Uh, something providential happened. Uh, we had this conversation as an elder team. I, I believe it was all the way back in April or May. A long time ago, we started talking about uh, what book of the Bible we wanted to go through, what study we wanted to do. And I suggested Hebrews. We talked about it. We prayed about it. And we said, yes, let's do, let's do Hebrews. I kid you not, three days later, the seminary where I'm taking classes emailed all the students and said, hey, this summer we are offering a special elective, a doctoral level exploration of the book of Hebrews for eight weeks. Does anybody want to do it? And I said, Travis, Shane, I'll see you guys in eight weeks. I'm signing up for this class. So just providentially, God uh, allowed me and, and to the other elders to share this material with them uh, even months ago to prepare us to go through this amazing book of the Bible. So let's talk a little bit of information about this book. And, and let me just say this from the outset. The challenge with today is to give you a, an overview, to give you a, a, an understanding and a, const, a context, I should say, of what this book is. 
but I don't wanna just give you information. We need to see the heartbeat of this book. We need to see what's going on so that you can actually experience life transformation. So read it with these eyes as we go through these truths. Let's, let's talk first of all about who wrote the book of Hebrews. You ready? We don't know. This would be a short sermon, right? Short section of the sermon. It's not gonna be a short sermon, I'm kidding. Who wrote the book of Hebrews? We simply don't know. Uh, the most common put forward is the Apostle Paul. There's many similar themes. There's many similar ideas. There's similar language to the Apostle Paul. It makes sense to think that he could have written it. However, there's a few compelling reasons why I, I personally think that it's anybody but Paul. The first one is this. There's no self-identification. Did you notice how when we first started reading, it just launched in? Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Boom, he's off to the races. When you think about the letters of Paul, he always says something like, greetings, I, Paul, a prisoner for the Lord or an apostle, I write to you, the church in Galatia or the church in uh, Colossae. He always identifies himself. Another reason why I think it probably is not Paul is there's no early church witness. There's actually disagreement very early. In the 300s, we have church fathers like, like Eusebius saying, we should make note that some people don't think the book of Hebrews was written by Paul. But most convincingly to me actually comes from the text of Hebrews itself. Look with me in Hebrews 2, verse 3. This is what the writer of Hebrews says. He says this about the gospel message. He says, it was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard. Do you understand what he's saying there? He's saying, I didn't get this gospel message straight from Jesus. I got it from the apostles. I got it from people who heard the Lord. The Lord spoke the gospel message. Those people heard it and then they delivered it to us. That stands in sharp distinction to what the apostle Paul says about his own ministry. For example, in Galatians 1, he says, I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. That's a pretty gutsy claim, would you agree? The apostle Paul says, I didn't learn this gospel from any, anybody. Jesus came and taught it to me himself. It's very different than what the writer of Hebrews says. So I think it's probably almost anybody but Paul. Other people say it was maybe uh, Luke, another important writer of the New Testament. Some people think it was Priscilla, the wife of Aquila, who uh, uh, Priscilla and Aquila helped uh, explain the word of God to a man named Apollos. Uh, some people think it was Apollos because he was a gifted preacher. My wife last night, as I was going over this, she tried to convince me that it was Silas because he traveled with Paul and would have uh, picked up these Pauline themes. The, the end of the day is this. We simply don't know. There are many fascinating theories, but we just don't know. One day, after the return of Jesus and the final resurrection, we can ask around and find out. We can ask Jesus, who wrote that book? And it's probably somebody with a sense of humor who's getting a nice laugh that we haven't known for the last 2,000 years. But at the end of the day, we have to agree with the early church father, Origen. Who wrote Hebrews? Only God truly knows. We just don't know. By the way, I should say that even though this letter is anonymous and, and the author has been disputed, there has never been a time in church history where the church did not consider this to be sacred scripture. This is more than just somebody's writing. This is more than just somebody's opinion. This is the word of God. The church has always held that. The church has always believed that. There's never been any serious attempt to discredit the book of Hebrews. So even though the author is anonymous, the church has always said, no, we know that this is breathed out by God. We know that the spirit helped this book to be written. So it's, it's from God. 
What is the letter of Hebrews? What is it? It's, it is a letter. Look in Hebrews 13, 22. He says this, I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. He did write this. But look at the phrase before, bear with my word of exhortation. Do you know what that phrase means? That's a sermon, a word of exhortation. And exhortation means I want to compel you to action. I want to give you some information. I want to stir you up and then I want to give you a direction and call you to march forward. Bear with my word of exhortation for I have written to you briefly. So I would say that the letter of Hebrews is actually a sermon that was then turned into a letter. What else leads me to this conclusion? Verse one, like we just said, it just launches right in. There's no greeting, there's no information. He just jumps in long ago at many times and in many ways. God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. He just jumps in. Another thing about this letter is that it goes Old Testament, explanation, application, over and over and over again. The writer of Hebrews is a a good Bible teacher. He wants you to know what's in the scriptures. He shows you the Old Testament. He explains what it means. And then he says, here's what you gotta do. Time and time again, we're gonna touch on Genesis. We're gonna touch on Exodus. We're gonna touch on the Psalms. We're gonna touch on Jeremiah. We're gonna look at every major section of the Old Testament because the writer of Hebrews goes through and wants you to see how it all points to Jesus Christ. And one last evidence that that helps us understand that this is a sermon is if you're a, a Greek uh, scholar, someone who is fluent in the language of New Testament Greek, you'll see that it's a very high writing style. This is someone who is a skilled orator. This is someone who is a skilled speaker, somebody who isn't just writing at a very elementary level. They're, they're giving some high quality Greek rhetoric. This is what one scholar, David De Silva says. He says, not only was the author a gifted interpreter of the scriptures, he was also a gifted orator, an expert in rhetoric and style. Indeed, Hebrews has been singled out among the New Testament documents as the earliest example of Christian artistic literature. The book of Hebrews is beautiful. The book of Hebrews is masterful. So these factors, it's a sermon. We don't know who wrote it, but we know it comes from God. One of my professors in the class I took this summer said, it can rightly be said that the book of Hebrews is a sermon that God wrote. And so that's how we landed on the title for this series, The Sermon God Wrote. And also, that's how we landed on this hand, by the way. It's a hand that's writing, in case some of you are unclear. Ah, I heard the collective ah. Yes, thank you. The Sermon God Wrote. This is, this is from God. We don't know who the author is, but we know it comes from him. And so we want to hear what God has to say to us. Why was this book written? One more question just about context. What's, what are the problems that the writer of Hebrews is seeking to address? Well, the first one is this. They have already been through some difficult times. They've had previous hardships. Look in chapter 10, verses 32 through 34. He says this, recall the former days, the former days, back in the good old days, when after you were enlightened, meaning after you became a believer, you endured a hard struggle with, what's the word? Sufferings. You endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. It means being mocked or not being thought well of or having hardships, maybe financial hardships, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. Sometimes you weren't the ones being persecuted, but you're friends with those who were. 
For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully, oh, get this phrase, joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Think about this. They're experiencing persecution. They're experiencing hardship. People are stealing their stuff and they're accepting it joyfully because they knew that they had something that couldn't be stolen. They had eternal life in Christ Jesus. You had a better possession and abiding one. So the situation, we don't know exactly what church this was written to. We don't know what group of people this was written to, but we do know that they have some difficult things in their past. And what's more, they have a current crisis that's going on too. We don't know exactly what the current crisis is, but listen to some of these warnings that he gives. The the writer says, uh, be careful not to drift away. He warns them to not neglect the message that they've heard. He warns them, be careful so that you don't fail to attain the promised rest. You gotta keep going. You gotta keep pushing to the promised land. He says, don't fall into unbelief. He says, don't grow weary and lose heart. We're not sure what specifically is going on, but something is causing the people to falter. At least some of the people are faltering in their commitment to Jesus Christ. And the writer, the speaker, the preacher is saying, watch out. I know things are hard. I know things are difficult. I know you've already been through hardship, but take heart, be careful, pay attention. There's some sort of a current crisis. What's more, these these Christians are having theological confusion and biblical immaturity. Listen to what he says to them in chapter five. About this, we have much to say. He wants to tell them something about the Old Testament. He wants to tell them about Melchizedek. About this, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Ouch. You, I want to I explain things to you, but you're dull of hearing. You're not listening. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, And you can read right in between the lines there, you babies. (laughs) You need milk, not solid food. I wish that we could really dig deep. I wish that we could really go deep into the things of God, but you have forgotten the basics. You cannot go on to graduate school. You need to go back to kindergarten is what he's saying to them. So that's part of the struggle that they're going through. They have theological confusion. They have biblical immaturity. They don't understand the word of God. And lastly, number four, there's personal weariness. Some of them are just tired. Consider him who endured, such, uh, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. One commentator, Philip Hughes, says this, it is apparent that a situation has arisen in which a particular community of Christians is contemplating a compromise of disastrous consequences, since it would mean, in effect, the abandonment of the gospel. On the one hand, faced with daily indignities and the prospect of persecution of a more severe nature, they're sorely tempted to withdraw from the good fight of faith. On the other, they're enticed by teachings which threaten the uniqueness of Christ. They are in danger of squandering their birthright in order to purchase temporary relief. We don't know exactly what's going on, but it isn't easy. How many of you tonight find yourself in the middle of a situation that isn't easy? Maybe you haven't had your property plundered, but maybe you're walking through something where you feel a little bit like these these Christians that this letter is written to. 
You feel weary, you feel tired, you've already been through some hard stuff, you're facing more challenging and difficult circumstances. Where do you identify with the hearers in this story? Where do you identify with the listeners of this original sermon? What are we gonna see as the major themes in the book of Hebrews? There, there, are, uh, there are at least five major themes and we did something where we wanted to kind of color code them a little bit. So as we go through the series, you'll see some different colored slides, some different colors so that you can hopefully remember these, these major themes. And they're not strict themes. There's a lot of overlap and they interweave, but, but this, is, this is the basic outline, these five major themes. The first one is simply this, Jesus is better. Can I get an amen from anybody on that one? Jesus is better better. It doesn't matter what you're looking at. It doesn't matter what you're facing. It doesn't matter what you think is great. Jesus is better. In this, in this first verse that we read, verse three talks about after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs more excellent, superior. There's at least 16 times that this specific Greek word is used. Better, superior, greater, more excellent. But there are dozens of other times where even when that specific word isn't used, the ideas are there. He's gonna talk about Jesus being greater than the angels. Jesus is greater than Abraham. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is a better communicator than the prophets. Jesus is the mediator of a better covenant. Jesus is greater than our sin. Jesus is greater than anything or anyone. It doesn't matter what you're looking at. Jesus is better. As a matter of fact, when I, when I started studying this summer and I started looking through other preachers who have done a series on the book of Hebrews, 99% of them called their sermon series that Jesus is greater. If you ask the writer of Hebrews if for a title for this sermon, he would probably say something like, Jesus is greater. Jesus is better. I also want to point out to you something because it can be easy to, to make this mistake. When the writer of Hebrews speaks about the law and the old covenant and the sacrifices, and then he goes over to say that Jesus is better, he is not doing a comparison between bad and and good, he is doing a comparison between good and way better. Do you guys understand the difference? Just because he's saying that Jesus is better does not mean that the Old Testament was bad. Does not mean that the Old Covenant sacrifices were bad. It does not mean that any of those things, in fact, they were great. They were wonderful. But they were just signposts pointing to the deeper and better and greater reality of Jesus. Do you understand? Speaking of signposts, that's the second major theme, shadow versus reality. Um, my experience is that many Christians are hmm, afraid of the Old Testament a little bit. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you have ever been confused by something that you've read in the Old Testament? Why are there so many battles? What's with all the blood? Are you telling me they brought animals to their worship services? Why, I thought I'd get in trouble if I tried to do that. It can be a little bit confusing. Here's, here's the good news. The writer of Hebrews, the preacher, understands that there are things in the Old Testament that are hard to understand specifically because they are shadows or they're signposts pointing forward to the full thing itself. So you can actually be encouraged. If you've ever been confused by the Old Testament, be encouraged. There are things that are confusing. Look at how he talks about the, the law. 
He says this, the law, the Old Testament law, has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. And the law can never, by the same sacrifices that are offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. He says, look, they do these sacrifices all the time. Why do they do these sacrifices all the time? Well, it is to, to atone for sin and to cover, but it's, it's temporary, it's incomplete. It's the difference between a sign pointing to Seattle and arriving in Seattle itself. A sign is a good thing, but it's just a symbol. It's just pointing. You don't see the full reality. So that's a second major, major theme of the book of Hebrews. I like the way that uh, St. Augustine puts it. He says this about the Old and New Testaments. He says, the new is in the old concealed, but the old is in the new revealed. The old and the New Testament go together hand in hand. Amen? We don't ever want to drive a wedge in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. We don't ever want to say Old Testament's bad, New Testament's good. No, all of Scripture is from God. And when you dive into the Old Testament, you see the same gospel of grace present. It's just hidden. It's concealed. And when you get to the New Testament, you start to see how all that stuff in the Old Testament makes sense. It was all pointing to Jesus the whole time. The third theme is about Jesus as the high priest. This is a massive theme in the book of Hebrews. You're going to see at least 36 references to priests and their work. What is it that priests do? Priests in our culture and in our context has a very different meaning. But in this time when he was writing, priests did something very important. Priests made it possible for you to have access to God. They mediated your access to God. The priests would, would offer sacrifices so that your sins could be covered. They made it possible so that you could know that you were forgiven. But here, the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 10, he says this, we have a great high priest over the house of God. Because of this, let's draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Listen, the old covenant priests would go into the temple carrying blood from animals that they sacrificed, but it was temporary. It could never deal with sin at its root. But now we have a high priest who was himself the sacrifice and his blood makes it so that we can be perfected in the eyes of God. That's our high priest. His name is Jesus, church. You do not need a pastor. You do not need a community group leader. You do not need a worship leader to mediate the presence of God for you. If you are a Christian, you are invited to draw near directly into the Holy of Holies. And what's more, you are called a kingdom of priests. You're all priests. We are all, as believers in Jesus Christ, invited to go behind that curtain into the direct presence of God himself. Isn't that good news? It's because of Jesus' death. He died in our place. He's the sacrifice of atonement. His blood covers our sins. He, he rose again, coming back to life, proving that he had power over sin and death. And you want to know what's amazing? He ascended he, he died, he rose, and he ascended. The book of Hebrews talks a lot about the ascension of Jesus. It's a little bit of a, of a confusing idea. You guys know the ascension? You're reading the gospels, Jesus dies, he rises again, and then one minute he just like floats off to heaven. The world is going on here. What the author of Hebrews is gonna tell us is that Jesus stands at the right hand of God. He ascended into heaven, he stands at the right hand of God as our high priest and as our mediator and as our 
advocate. And when you and I mess up, we stumble, we fall into sin, Jesus Christ, our advocate, is standing there before the Father and he says, no, my blood paid for that sin too. My blood paid for that sin too. You as a Christian can have a clean conscience because Jesus is our high priest. But that's in chapter 10. That's a sermon I'll probably preach next May or something. So let's keep going here. Number four, a massive theme of the book of Hebrews is warning. Warning. There are five main warning sections. And let me, uh, let me tell you plainly, they are intense. They are probably the most intense warning passages in the entire New Testament. And I might add, they're the most controversial some of these warning passages are, are very controversial and Christians have debated them for centuries about their meaning, how to understand them. Let me give you one example, one of the less controversial ones from Hebrews chapter two. It says this, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? He's warning them, you have to pay attention. Do not drift. If you ignore this message of the gospel that's delivered by the son of God himself, you will not escape judgment. How will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Uh, several of these warning passages we will spend multiple weeks on. Number five, lastly, a major theme, big major theme that you'll see is Christian living. Because, because he's a good Bible teacher, he wants to give us practical application, not just big truths, not just Old Testament verses, but what does this look like lived out? And so there's all sorts of, of passages in the book of Hebrews about how to live our lives as Christians. Here's one example, uh, Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Who do you need to stir up to love and good works this week? Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Isn't it interesting how when the pressure comes on, they were tempted to not meet together. They found it harder to, to go to church. They found it harder to gather in community. They found it harder to, to encourage one another to love and good works says, don't neglect to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I love this. You know, what, you know why I love this? Sometimes we have this mistaken idea that as we grow in maturity, we need God's people less and less. So I'm, I'm more mature. I'm stronger. I, I guess I don't need people as much. The preacher of Hebrews would say something completely different. He says, the more mature you are, the more you need God's people. The further down this road you get, the closer we get to the day, the day of Christ's return, the day of judgment, you actually need God's people more. You need more community, not less. You need more time in the presence of other Christians, not less. Those are the five major themes. Let me just briefly run through a few other things you're gonna see in Hebrews. You're gonna see a lot of Old Testament heroes. And I actually should say, you're gonna see a lot of Old Testament examples because many of them are good examples. Many of the heroes of the faith put forward, hey, this is a great person. Learn from their example, do what they did. Don't you see how they persevered? You can do it. We're also gonna see some bad examples. Hey, don't be like these guys. And they sinned and a bunch of them died and don't do it. Don't harden your hearts like the, the Israelites did in the wilderness. So a lot of Old Testament examples. Another thing you're gonna see is, is these tensions, these extremes held in tension. 
Let me, let me, let me explain to you what I mean by this. The, the, the writer of Hebrews is gonna talk about how Jesus' work is done. He completed his work and he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He sat down. When a priest was done, they sat down. But then he also says that Jesus is standing at the right hand of the Father doing his priestly work on an ongoing basis for us. So you say, well, excuse me, Mr. Writer, is, it, is he done or is he, is he still going? And the writer of Hebrews would look at us and go, yes, absolutely. He's gonna talk about Jesus, the one who was made perfect through, through suffering, the one who, who was made like us in every respect. He experienced temptation, he experienced hardship, he experienced weakness, and he's a, he can understand and sympathize with us in our weakness because he was so lowly. And yet he's gonna talk about the one who is the son of God who created the world and is the exact imprint of the radiance of the glory of God and his nature, and he's exalted above the heavens. Well, which is it? Is he lowly and human or is he exalted and defined? And it's yes. Yes, it's both. I love this guy. I love this writer because that helps us to see a Jesus that's way bigger than we ever imagined. He's gonna talk about these extremes that are held in tension. Third thing you're gonna see, uh, just additional things, you're gonna see the, the language of movement, a lot of language of movement, walking, journeying, let us draw near, be careful not to drift. There's a lot of language of movement. And lastly, a lot of language of speaking and hearing, not as much reading and writing, again, because this is a sermon, language of speaking and hearing. So as we survey through the book and we read the whole book uh, and you look through these major topics, some of these subtopics, let me just give you an idea, again, going line by line, verse by verse through the book of Hebrews, what are some of the sermons gonna be on over the next year? We're gonna hit on topics like election and predestination. Yeah, we're going to touch on eternal security and the question, can a, a true Christian, can a real believer lose their salvation? Can they really fall away from the living God? We're going to talk about the authority of Scripture and God's communication to us through his word. We're going to talk about cessationism versus continuationism. And those are just big words that mean, does God continue to do the same things that we read about in the Bible or did he cease to do some of those things and now he does things differently? We're going to hit on those topics. We're going to talk about some complicated Old Testament rituals. You guys, we are going to talk about blood way more than you ever wanted to. A lot of blood. We're going to talk about the relationship between the Old and the New Testaments. Here's, here's an important one. Number seven, we're going to talk about the relationship between a Christian, a New Testament Christian, and the Old Testament law. How many of you know that's a particularly uh, relevant point for us? There are those in the culture that would say, you Christians like to cherry pick which verses you do and don't obey. You like to enforce these verses and say that these other ones don't matter and you're, you're hypocrites and you're, in, you're inconsistent. Well, the writer of Hebrews is gonna give us some very helpful information and insight into that accusation. You guys think that one's gonna be important for us? Number eight, we're gonna talk about covenants, God's relationship with, with mankind. We're gonna talk about persecution, trials, and discipline. Yay! <laughs> We're going to talk about belonging to the covenant community. What does it really mean to be the church, the people of God? We're going to talk about church discipline. And, of course, we're going to talk about end times and eschatology. I just, you know, it would be easier, right, to go topical. Like, just do John 3.16 every week for the next year. I get a little bit scared. But honestly, this is what's going to be good for us as a church to dive deep and, and hit through hit all these different topics. So let me, just, let me just say this, kind of bring this to a close. What's the hope for us as a church? Why, why spend a year going through this 
massive book of the Bible. I would say for us as an elder team, we have three main hopes. The first one is this, that we would be biblically informed. We, as a, as a church, we said our first value is that we value sound doctrine. We value teaching of the word of God. We don't want to be big-headed, amen? We don't want to be prideful, but we do want to be wise. We don't want to be those infants who need milk. We want solid food. Would you agree? How many of you want that for your personal life? I want to be more skilled in the word of God. Not so I could be uh, uh, prideful and lord it over someone, but so I could help people. And so I could worship my God because I'm learning more about him and I'm just having my, my mind blown and I'm having my heart uh, just filled to overflowing. I want to see God. I want to know God. I want to understand God. And so we want to be biblically informed, mature, godly Christians. Another hope for us is that we would be Christ-focused. Throughout the book of Hebrews, we've just touched on all these different topics, these major themes, these sub-themes, these things we're going to get into. But through it all, the preacher, the author of Hebrews, doesn't just give us this information so we could know about Jesus, but he points us to Jesus. You guys, we need Jesus. Each and every day, we need Jesus. So we need to be Christ-focused. And as we go forward as a church, you know what? There are a lot of things that we can get involved in. There are a lot of things we will get involved in. But I can tell you this. We can do coat drives and food shelf drives until the sun goes away. If we don't know Jesus, we've lost it all. We don't want to just be about good works as a church for the sake of using up some time. No, we want to use whatever means necessary to introduce people to Jesus and to keep pointing our own hearts back to Jesus. And number three, the, the hope for us would be that going through the book of Hebrews, we would grow in being joyfully persevering. And that word joyfully is really important. You can persevere, not joyfully. <laughs> You can, that's like, that's called going to the dentist and getting a filling, right? You just, I'm just here. If you get joy from going to the dentist, we need to talk after the service because you have a problem. If, if you persevere and just kind of grit your teeth, well, this life is hard. I guess I'm just going to persevere and deal with it. Okay. But the writer of Hebrews is, is actually bold enough to tell us that it is possible to persevere in the middle of opposition, in the middle of struggles, in the middle of trials with joy. How many of you want that joy? In the struggles you're facing, in the, in the trials you're going through, how many of you want that joy of the Lord to help you persevere, to be the motivation for you to keep going and to not give up? So how can you participate? How can you actively participate? The first one is this. It sounds simple, but read the book of Hebrews. I mean that. Read the book of Hebrews. Read it prayerfully. Read it carefully. Read it repeatedly. Go over and over again. Uh, circle things, underline things. And, and as you read through the book of Hebrews, I can guarantee you that you will have questions and we want to encourage you to ask them. I mean this sincerely. If you are reading through Hebrews and you know that we're coming up on a certain passage, I would love for you to email Pastor Shane those questions. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We all love, whoever is teaching, myself, one of the other elders, we would love to help you, the church body, to wrestle with this book, to wrestle with these deep truths. Please send your questions. We want to be able to help speak directly to what it is that you are, are, are wrestling with. So ask questions. Number three, participate in community. 
You can come to the sermons, you can read the scripture, but what we really need, especially in light of what what the, the writer of Hebrews says, we need to wrestle these things out in the context of relationship with other Christians. For some of you, maybe you've been resisting being involved in a community group for a while. And maybe this is your time to say, yeah, Jesus, I need to get involved in in a biblical community where I can have an opportunity to talk about some of these things. Maybe for some of you, God's calling you to be a community group leader. Maybe this is a season where God wants you to to join up with this this class that Pastor Travis is gonna be teaching on Wednesday nights to get trained to be a leader of a community group. Maybe for some of you, it's as simple as, I just need to call a friend and go ask to get coffee with them and talk about what's going on in my life and talk about the book of Hebrews. But one way or another, I'm, I'm pleading with you, participate in community. And lastly, number four, for all of us to participate, we're invited to draw near to the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. If you're not a Christian and you're hearing me tonight, there is a wide open door of invitation for you to come near to God the Father by the work that our high priest Jesus has done. Don't delay. Come running. Rise and go to Jesus. I'm inviting you to experience his acceptance, his love, his forgiveness of you. Like we sang earlier, we come just as we are. And our our savior Jesus is willing to embrace us and to accept us right where we are. And then the good news is, is he changes us and challenges us and shapes us and grows us. If you're a Christian, you might be tempted to think that the struggle you're going through or the hardship that you're experiencing right now, it's you need to get yourself cleaned up before you can go to Jesus. And the invitation today is draw near to the Father. If you have messed up really bad, if you've messed up really bad, do you believe that the gospel is powerful enough? Do you believe that Jesus is true when he says that he'll be a propitiation for your sins, when he says that he will stand at the right hand of the Father as your advocate. If you're fearful of your Father, do you believe that Jesus invites you to come in and experience his grace and his mercy, as it says in Hebrews, to find help in our day of need? I invite you all to draw near. How is Jesus calling you to persevere? How is Jesus calling you to see that Jesus is better? How is Jesus calling you to run the race that you have ahead of you with joy? So it's in light of that, I wanna call us now to a time of response. I'd like to invite the financial stewards to come forward if they would. We're gonna begin our time of response with collecting an offering. Uh, If you're a guest or a visitor, you're not obligated to give. You're welcome to if you'd like to. And I invite you to uh, give joyfully out of the overflow of your heart. If you uh, don't want to give in service here, there's information in your weekly handout about how to give online or text to give. And while they're collecting the offering, let me just go over some discussion questions for us this week for our community groups and for our houses and our homes. Where in your life are you facing challenges that will require steadfastness and perseverance? For some of you, this means you need to open up and be a little bit vulnerable and share about the trials you're facing. Number two, where are you tempted to believe that something or someone is better than Jesus? And how does Jesus want to challenge that? Number three, what does it mean that Jesus is our high priest? Let's explore that for a while. And then number four, just what questions do you have about the book of Hebrews? What are you confused about? And what do you hope to gain from this study? What do you hope, you know, in October of 2016, you'll be able to look back and say, man, God really taught me this through the study of the book of Hebrews. 
A couple of things to be praying for as well in your homes, in your personal life, and in your community groups. Pray that God would use this teaching series to grow, challenge, equip, and encourage us as a church. And number two, pray for perseverance, both individually and for us as a church, that we would remain faithful to Jesus no matter what the circumstances come. I meant to say this earlier, but let me just say this too. I want to really encourage you to be here next week. We're going to do something a little bit different, something a little bit unusual for us as a church. And so I want you to, I want you to be here. I want you to experience this with us uh, as much as you're able. Just be here. Be present for this series. And if you miss them, uh, we'll post them up on our website. You can listen to them online. would love for you guys to participate as much as you can because this is a dense book and I want to make sure that you're getting uh, all the different pieces. We're going to continue our time of response with a celebration of communion with the Lord's table. And I want you to understand that tonight when we come to the table, we're coming to experience the the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus, our great high priest who made it possible for us to draw near to God. So you can draw near to God tonight because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Is that good news to you? Is that encouraging to you? Tonight, no matter where you feel, if you feel like you're close to God or far off or distant, I invite you to come to the table and experience his grace. Receive these emblems, receive these elements as a means of receiving his grace. If you're not a Christian, the invitation is give your sin to Jesus and join us at the table. The table is for Christians. And we're gonna sing. We're gonna begin our time of singing with a song about drawing near to Jesus, coming to him. And so I invite you to lift your voices and lift your hands and just sing this out. I will arise and go to Jesus. I invite you to stand if you would. Let's pray and begin our time of response now. Father God, we thank you for this book. We thank you for this amazing letter, this, this sermon that encourages us, exhorts us to draw near to Jesus. God, I pray right now that as we sing and as we respond, you would fill our hearts with your spirit. That whatever struggles we're facing, whatever challenges we're facing, whatever opposition we're facing, we would recognize that Jesus, you are greater than those challenges. You are greater than anything. And we can draw near to the Father through you. Help us to do so now as we sing, as we worship, as we pray, and as we receive the bread and the wine tonight together. In Jesus' good name we pray, amen.